The Guardian. Unplug your mobile phone charger to save around £3.50 a year. For more easy ways to save, complete our energy savers report at britishgas.co.uk forward slash ESR. Hello, I'm Alison Benjamin and this is Environment Weekly. Coming up on this week's show, why Greenpeace holds Unilever responsible for the killing of orangutans, the endangered apes of Southeast Asia. Basically what they need to do is, is stop trading with their suppliers who are involved with this destruction on the ground, threatening habitats of endangered species like the orangutan and speeding up climate change. Artist Kurt Jackson on the landscapes of the Fens and how they are threatened by climate change. And we hear about how downshifting is good for the environment. This is Environment Weekly from guardian.co.uk. With me in the studio, I'm joined by John Vidal, the Guardian's environment editor. Hello. And Bibi Vanderzee, ethical living writer and campaigner. Hello. Your green moments of the week. John? There's been a secret meeting going on in London uh, where all uh, African governments and all the largest construction companies in the world want to build um, the biggest dam which has ever been conceived, $80 billion worth of dam, which they say is going to take electricity right the way to Europe. Uh, It's completely balmy, but um, in the current climate, it may well go ahead. And Bibi? I I think uh, Lord Stern's announcement last week that he's absolutely underestimated climate change and that it's all much worse than he thought or anyone thinks kind of has been preying on my mind ever since. EU set to scrap biofuels target amid fears of food crisis. The Guardian. The European Commission appears to have made a U-turn on biofuels. As the global food crisis intensifies, exacerbated in part by diverting crops from food production to fuel, it's backing away from binding targets on the use of biofuels. 10% of the energy needed for road transport was supposed to come from biofuels by 2020 in order to combat climate change. Now, however, the Commission is saying the target is secondary. John, we've talked a lot about the dangers of biofuel on this show. This latest development sounds like a positive move. Biofuels are on the run. Um, I think they're shot, actually. I cannot see in the present climate uh, the the global food uh, crisis and and, and what's going on in Europe. I cannot see biofuels going above 2.5%. And there's going to be a lot of questions asked right the way around the world about them. Bibi, do you think this is a warning that we shouldn't look for quick fix technology, but uh, we need to cut consumption instead? I think it is. And I think it's a warning that companies really need to listen to. You've got this absurd situation. Companies are saying, oh, we're making massive efforts to reduce our carbon output. But actually, they don't really believe what they're saying. And I don't think people are understanding it has to be cut down. You can't just sort of make a sort of game out of this Mm. with numbers. Mystery of Britain's disappearing birds. The Independent. The number of birds arriving in the UK each spring is plummeting. It's estimated that during springtime, 16 million birds from nearly 50 different species pour into Britain to breed from their winter quarters in Africa. But the latest figures from the RSPB say that almost half the species have seriously declined. These include cuckoos, turtle doves and willow warblers. And the nightingale is so rare, it's no longer picked up in monitoring schemes. No one seems to know the reason for these disappearances, but habitat degradation in Africa and climate change are implicated. 
John, how serious is this? Well, it is. It's one of the great monitors of how we're doing. Bird life uh, generally is going down around the world, absolutely inevitable consequence of development, right the way through Africa, Mediterranean, wherever. I was very interested to see there's a group called the Songbird uh, protection trust uh, they're taking on the rspb for saying well you're, you're introducing all these birds of prey which are eating our little songbirds so so what's going on and there's, there's a kind of point here is that actually it's big birds do kill little birds as well so we should get it in perspective baby are you concerned about the birds we heard a cuckoo on sunday i was out with uh, my family and we heard oh. a cuckoo and i was trying to you know Getting, trying to get the boys to listen, which, of course, they weren't, weren't very interested. There's something about the joy of birds and these very sort of fragile, beautiful creatures that live with us. And to be wiping them out like this seems very destructive and short-sighted. I don't think people understand how delicately it's all balanced. And when they start to go, other larger animals will follow. I have to say the biggest killer of birds in Britain is, is, is household pets. Cats are absolutely lethal, um, estimated 400,000 in just one county alone. This is the plague. The plague is the busy cat, which is not... Well, I have to say, my cat's never killed a well, bird in its life. It's completely <laughs> incapable. <laughs> Unilever targeted in orangutan protest. The Guardian. We're going to be talking about this story later in the programme, but uh, one of the things that caught my eye was Greenpeace was saying that if Unilever invested as much money in sorting out its supplies in Indonesia as it does on greenwashing its brands, the company could fix the problem of deforestation overnight, practically. And Bibi, I know that you've been looking into greenwashing. Companies are getting more and more obsessed with making themselves look green. And it's very frustrating because in many cases they're spending so much money on producing reports and advertisements that sound wonderful and, and not actually putting the programmes in place that they need. Unilever, interesting, have actually won awards for their environmental reporting. But yet, at the same time, they're getting targeted for this sort of thing. Classic example is British Energy, a huge power firm who get a lot of their energy from nuclear power, which is very problematic. And I, I was looking at their website and they describe themselves as the lowest carbon emitter of the major UK electricity generators. And it's one of those beautiful bits mm. of double think. It's, you know, but in a way they yeah. are. But it's like, I mean, their problem is elsewhere. And that's the way that companies are trying to sort of red herring us with a different message about what they're doing. There's one side of them which is making a lot of progress. And Unilever has done a lot in, the, in its seafood stuff and its food things. We, we should credit them. At the same time, they do push it too far and they tend to use these, uh, the good initiatives to hide the bad ones. We just have to keep exposing them. I think it's as simple as that. I mean, another great one, Ford in America, had a, a print ad said, green vehicles, cleaner factories, it's the right road for our company and we're well underway. John knows all about Ford, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've just been down to Dagenham and seen their, seen their plant. It's amazing what's happening. Because of the high energy prices, because of uh, environmental awareness, Ford is now rushed off its feet. It cannot keep up with the demand for low emission cars. So very small engines, 75 miles to the gallon cars, and it's belting them out um, and they're going to be all over Britain with within a year or two. Um, but the point is, it's still, it's <laughs> what's going on in America is something completely different. Mm. And the company is using the good stuff happening here in Britain to counter the bad stuff happening in America. And the, overall, the company can say that it's actually doing a lot of stuff. But it, in one way it is, another way it isn't. In some cases, I think that companies are being very honest and really making sincere efforts to, to understand this environmental process. And it's not natural for them to worry about a lot of these things. It's not the way that the business world has thought for the last sort of, 40 years. But in some cases, it's just <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> Leading
Canadian artist Kurt Jackson has produced a series of beautiful paintings of the Wickham Fen Nature Reserve in Cambridgeshire. He chose to paint this fragile landscape with big skies, marshes and meadows and extraordinary light because it's under threat from sea levels rising as a result of climate change. Jackson, a committed environmentalist, is donating proceeds from the sale of the paintings to Friends of the Earth's climate change campaign. I asked him what he hoped to convey through his work. It's basically about taking one place, which I suppose represents the world as a whole, but trying to show how special a place can be in terms of the diversity and the overall beauty of the animals and plants that live there, as well as the physical nature of the place. I was interested that some of the titles of your paintings are things like squeaky reed warblers and distant cuckoo call. It's almost like you want us to be able to hear the birdsong while we're looking at the pictures. Is, Is that correct? Well, yes, definitely. The problem I have with the visual arts is that Often there's a limit to what you can get over in what I've experienced or, or what I want people to see. And that's why I end up using words in, on the picture surface as well. To, you know, the thing about the smells, the sounds and the thoughts that are happening in these special places. What about ants in my pants, cool raindrops dyke? What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it shows that it's not always um, the most comfortable place as well. You might be in a, a place full of beauty but um, you might also be sitting in a puddle of mud. And one of your trademarks is actually scrawling the name of the picture on the canvas. Why do you do that? Yeah, just even more of a sense of place, more information, basically, just to get more of what I'm experiencing over to the viewer, really. And you really get a sense of the changing weather. You know, there's one called Sunshine with Approaching Rain Clouds, Baker's Fen, and it looks like you're about to get soaked. Are you actually outside when you're painting? Yeah, all these paintings were done in situ, and and I'm armed with a large fisherman's umbrella (laughs) just in case that happens, which obviously does happen time to time. But I I quite enjoy that um, edginess of the elements changing, the big skies of East Anglia, which, coming from West Cornwall, which is a very different landscape I was fascinated by and and wanted to obviously attempt to uh, engage with. What medium are you actually using? Well, I refer to it as mixed media. Basically, it's um, a whole bag full of different tricks, anything from watercolour, acrylics, gouaches, collage, crayons, pencils, pastel, the mud at my feet sometimes, the juices of plants even sometimes. And did you get a sense when you were painting these beautiful paintings that, 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 you know, this is a threatened landscape? Yes, it represents, on one level, a very fragile place because it's near the coast, therefore large climate change shifts, which could potentially cause shifts in sea level, are potentially threatening. And then on the other hand, you have a place which is a very small nature reserve. It's got very small populations of rare beasties and plants living there. And with extreme changes in weather as a result of climate change, potentially they can wipe out complete breeding populations of animal or plant and uh, that can lead to extinction. And what part do you think art can play in the environment movement? Well, from my point of view, it's a two-pronged approach. It's one of making people sit up and realise what an amazing place we live um, and the animals and plants we share it with. And then on the other hand, it's hopefully trying to raise some money to allow these organisations and campaign groups to actually jump up and down and make some noise and attract attention both from the public and the government to do something about it. Thanks very much Kurt and I might well pop along on Friday although I don't think I've got enough money in the bank to um, one of your paintings. You might be lucky and get a bargain. (laughs) I was thinking actually in some ways people go on about carbon offsetting Yes, but uh, I thought a great idea if people wanted to carbon offset 
something they'd done recently, like a holiday or a business trip. They could just buy a painting and uh, they get something in return and Friends of the Earth get a, a lump of money to carry on their important <laughs> vital work. You should buy all my paintings for Friends of the Earth. <laughs> it's a much more right-on way of being a carbon offsetter. I remember that next time. Thanks very much, Kurt. <laughs> Cheers, then. OK, bye. bye now. That was Kurt Jackson. The exhibition called A Fragile Landscape is at Foyles Gallery, 113 to 119 Charing Cross Road, London, all this week. On Friday, April the 25th, a private auction of his work takes place with proceeds going to Friends of the Earth. And you can view the paintings online at guardian.co.uk slash environment. Unplug your mobile phone charger to save around £3.50 a year. For more easy ways to save, complete our energy savers report at britishgas.co.uk forward slash ESR. I'm Alison Benjamin, still to come on this edition of Environment Weekly. Is Unilever destroying rainforests and threatening the lives of orangutans? I think that they realise their backs are against a wall and that they've got to act, and certainly business as usual isn't going to be acceptable to their investors or their customers. Now, have you ever thought of taking it a bit easier, not working so hard, consuming less, and enjoying the simple things of life, from a walk in the countryside to growing your own veg? For our campaign of the week, Tracy Smith tells us how to slow down and green up for International Downshifting Week. My name is Tracy Smith and I'm a writer and broadcaster on sustainable living and I've put together an awareness campaign called International Downshifting Week. International Downshifting Week is all about making small changes that help you switch to a less stressful, more sustainable and more fulfilling way of life. It's been designed to help participants slow down and green up, get a better work and life balance, strengthen their relationships and even improve their sex life. As well as improving people's quality of life, downshifting also has a positive impact on local and global environments. There are ideas like cooking a lovely meal from scratch using locally sourced seasonal ingredients. Don't do it on your own. Get your partner involved too. Do it together. Make the preparation part of the fun. Or how about chilling out this evening, quite literally? I mean, switch the heating off early, turn the telly off, snuggle up on the couch with a radio playing, or go to bed early with a hot toddy and make your own heat. The campaign also encourages companies to adopt the downshifters' approach to saving money, getting employees to turn off unused equipment and implement car share schemes. And you can get the children involved with a few simple ideas too, like creating a square foot garden packed with as much food as they can grow. Or get them started with a funky, wiggly wormery so they can really get to grips with turning rubbish into a resource and keeping it out of landfill. Our children are the leaders of the future and we need to help normalise this behaviour if they are to step into adulthood armed and ready for what they're going to face in the decades ahead. This afternoon, as part of my celebration of International Downshifting Week, I'm going to repot my lettuce seedlings. I'll only need about ten, and I'm going to grow them on the windowsill, and they should keep us in salad all summer. The tip is to just nip off the outside leaves. Make sure you keep four to six leaves in the centre, and they'll just keep on growing. So come on, find yourself a suggestion from the lists on downshiftingweek.com and give it a go. The list is endless. All that limits you is your own imagination. That was Tracy Smith. And if you want to learn more about her campaign, go to downshiftingweek.com. 
Bibi, is there a danger that these kind of campaigns sort of trivialise eco issues a little bit? I do. I do like the idea of an international downshifting. <laughs> I wonder how many people they're going to get on board with that. But it's brilliant. Um, what do you mean trivialise? I mean, these are. Does we, it sort of turn it into lifestyle choice? But that's probably quite a good thing in a way because you know we need to make those choices. So if we present it all the time as some sort of knell of doom then people will just be scared. Whereas if you present it as quite an attractive thing to do, then people will just do it because actually growing your own veg is lovely and easy and something that you can get everyone involved in. So, John, are you going to be working less? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's realistic, actually, because all, all the downshifters tend to be sort of hyper-alpha chaps and women, whoever, and then they go and sit in the countryside or wherever it is, and then they work frantically on their, on their allotments or wherever it is. They actually work twice as hard. It's, it's basically just a way of working a bit less for the dollar, I suspect. But uh, I'm all for that. Have you ever noticed the little bee? The bee seems to work fantastically hard. Actually, the bee is, 99% of the time, it's actually going aimlessly. <laughs> yeah, doing extremely well for itself. But changing the way we live can make a difference, as Bibi said. I mean, take composting, for example. Each person in the UK generates around 170 kilograms of organic waste each year. That's food, garden cuttings and cardboard. We also throw away three billion pounds worth of perfectly good fruit and vegetable. Most of this all ends up in landfill, where it releases methane, which is 21 times more powerful than CO2. But by composting organic waste instead, we can save tonnes of greenhouse gases. So why not join the Guardian's Tread Lightly initiative and sign up to this week's pledge to compost all food, garden and cardboard waste? To pledge, go to guardian.co.uk slash treadlightly. Bibi, is it that easy, though? I mean, I've got a tiny garden. I don't really fancy having a wormer in the kitchen, and my council doesn't yet collect organic waste. We've actually been through almost every kind of waste solution you can... We've tried a wormery, and they all died. <laughs> and then we had bokashi bin, and it just overflowed. Bokashi bins are a kind of bin which you sprinkle with microorganisms that are supposed to break I down. I tried one of those, but the problem was you couldn't put it straight into the ground. You had to sort of dig a little hole and put it in the ground there and then use it as compost six months later. It's quite a complicated Mm. process. It just sort of didn't work out for us. But now we've come up with a solution of um, taking our compost round to a friend who has a big garden (laughs) and a compost bin. And I think you've just got to look for solutions like that and dodge ways around it. John? I'm all for composting. Absolutely fantastic. Compost absolutely everything. Old (laughs) shoes, whole lot. Put it all on. She's become a complete compost fanatic. You can't get her off the subject. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Old coats, put everything on. (laughs) Unilever this week was the target of direct action across the UK and Europe for its use of palm oil, which is supplied to it by companies accused of destroying the rainforests of Indonesia. My name's Belinda Fletcher. I'm senior forest campaigner at Greenpeace and I'm currently dressed as orangutan on Unilever's headquarters. But right down in front of me is a very enormous ad van carrying one of our own ads where we've spoofed the Dove advertising campaign for real women. And instead, we replaced the real women with four orangutans. And that's to highlight the fact that Dove are one of the many big brands that Unilever sell that contain palm oil. Palm oil is now the leading cause of forest destruction in, in countries like Indonesia. That destruction is, uh, is having a devastating impact on habitats of uh, endangered species such as the orangutan and it's also driving things like climate change because forests are a vital frontline in defense uh, for us against climate change. 
Now, what we're calling for is a halt to that forest destruction. Basically, what they need to do is, is stop trading with their suppliers that are involved with this destruction on the ground, threatening habitats of endangered species like the orangutan and speeding up climate change. And uh, apparently the police are just arriving, so... Well, it's been quite a, a calm morning altogether, but suddenly uh, a, a security man and one of the policemen have appeared on our balcony behind us. Um, can I call you back in a minute? I should stress that the police just wanted to chat to Belinda Fletcher and the protest passed off peacefully. Though perhaps peacefully isn't quite the right word given that soundtrack of howling apes the protesters were playing through their megaphones. Unilever brands include Dove Beauty Products, Flora Margarine and Hellman's Mayonnaise. The multinational company chairs the Round Table on Sustainable Palm Oil. This is an industry body set up in 2002 to ensure that palm oil is produced without destroying the last remaining habitats of orangutans. But there is still no certified palm oil on the market and forest destruction continues apace. Since 1990, 28 million hectares of Indonesian rainforest have been destroyed, which also releases huge amounts of carbon dioxide. We invited Unilever onto the show to answer its critics, but it declined. It gave this statement to The Guardian instead. We share the same concerns as everyone else about the expansion of palm oil production. We do use palm oil in some of our products, but we also have a long history of promoting sustainability, for example in tea and fish. We are leaders in the search for solutions to achieving sustainable palm oil. We chair the Round Table on Sustainable Palm Oil, RSPO, a wide-ranging coalition of organisations including Oxfam, WWF, plantation owners and manufacturers and retailers. In November, the RSPO agreed on a certification system for sustainable palm oil production. The criteria for the system address many of Greenpeace's concerns. The problem is simply that the demand for palm oil has exploded. This is due partly to growing demand from India and China and also due to the use of palm oil as a feedstock for biofuels in the energy sector. It is essential that all those involved sign up to agreed criteria to make sustainability work on the ground. But this is not an easy process and is taking longer than we would all like. Nevertheless, we remain absolutely committed to finding a solution. After the direct action, Unilever senior managers held a meeting with Greenpeace to discuss the accusations made against it. We've got John Sovan, Executive Director of Greenpeace, on the line now to tell us what happened. Unilever didn't deny any of the accusations that we put to them. And in fact, the situation, if anything, was much worse than we thought because Unilever actually admitted that they didn't have a clue where at least a fifth of their palm oil was coming from. And even the 80% that they thought they did know where it was coming from, it was still so mixed up in the actual uh, processing and transport and refining of the palm oil that they couldn't actually tell any of their customers with hands on heart where their palm oil had originated from. And I think that the impact of this, uh, they don't deny, is absolutely devastating. I mean, Indonesia is the um, third largest CO2 polluter on the planet after China and the United States. And this is almost solely caused by deforestation. And I think that the ball is now in Unilever's court because for a long time Unilever have been part of a roundtable on sustainable palm oil. And I think that the problem is is that this roundtable has just been used as a cover for business as usual. So there are members in that roundtable who are quite clearly involved in serious criminal activity. I mean, they're breaking Indonesian laws, they're destroying the rainforest, they're wiping out orangutan habitats. Unilever knows this is going on, yet nothing is done 
about kicking those companies out of the round table. The time has now come that Unilever needs to put up or shut up because I don't think it can go on claiming that it's a sustainable company, that it's interested in protecting planet Earth, while at the same time they don't take responsibility for where that supply is coming from. In a statement that they gave to us, their excuse was that uh, demand has exploded to such an extent that, you know, it's difficult for them to, um, to do anything. <laughs> well, I mean, I find that quite an extraordinary statement that it's difficult for them to do anything. I mean, the thing is, is that they've got to do something. I mean, their reputation is now on the line. And I think that they have a lot of very high-profile brand products like Dove, Purcell, Flora Margarine. They all contain palm oil or palm oil derivatives. And I think this is a serious risk for the company from the brand damage of the products from what they're involved in. John, what about this roundtable on sustainable palm oil? Because groups like Oxfam and WWF are on it. Um, I mean, they're pretty pretty okay. Are you saying that the whole thing should, um, should, should, should disband? Or is this a, a veiled attack on Oxfam and WWF as well? Well, I think that the problem is it was the same thing that we found with soya in the Amazon. There was, there was a roundtable on sustainable soya that did absolutely nothing for years. And actually, when you asked companies who were members of the roundtable on sustainable soya what was happening, they all said they were very frustrated that there was no action, there was no movement. And in fact, when we ran the campaign in the Amazon, first thing that we did was say that the roundtable isn't working. We need to set up a new working group. And eventually there was a moratorium agreed on further deforestation in the Amazon. Do you think that Oxfam and WWF should resign? Well, I think that what's got to happen with the Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil is is similar to what happened with soya. Either they have to make the Roundtable work, which means reforming it, and in particular it means kicking out companies that are not respecting the criteria that the Roundtable itself has signed up to, or it means the Roundtable has got to be disbanded And a new group has got to be set up. Now, yesterday in the discussions that I had with Unilever, I talked to them about what had happened in the Amazon about bringing companies together who actually wanted to see some action taking place. And they said that they would go away and look at it. Are you picking on Unilever? I mean, presumably there are lots and lots of other ones there as well. Are you naming their names as well? Or Well, of course it does involve lots of other big corporations. I mean, you know, it involves nearly every corporation because it covers food, cosmetics, soaps, and of course now it also includes things like biofuels. So all of the companies are involved. Why Unilever? Well, I mean, I think the key thing about Unilever is that they chair the round table and they are the world's largest buyer of palm oil, and therefore they have an enormous amount of leverage, and they know the industry, they know the business. Where does it leave the consumer, though, here at this end, where everyone loves the orangutan, but we don't know what we should do? Should we boycott Unilever? Should we boycott all these products? There are a a lot of people who are buying Unilever products every day or every week, and I think if those customers let Unilever know that they are very concerned about the impacts of where the ingredients for their products are coming from, and they want Unilever to take action, then I think that would also be a really powerful leverage that we could have over the company to get them to change. It sounds like you're heartened by the meeting that you had. Well, yes. I mean, I think that they realise their backs are against a wall and that they've got to act, and certainly business as usual isn't going to be acceptable to their investors or their customers. And increasingly also from the Indonesian government that has also appealed for support because I think that the Indonesian government is finding it very difficult to bring legality and governance into the rainforest when you've got this massive multinational corporation undermining 
their work by giving cover to companies that are destroying the rainforest. Last question, John. Um, lots of people have asked me to ask you, you managed to stop London yesterday with your 60 orangutans, people presumably all dressed up in orangutan outfits. Where did you get the outfits from? Uh, well, the outfits came from the people who were involved in the uh, Notting Hill Carnival. And I, I have to say, they did a brilliant job. I thought they looked really good, very they were realistic. splendid, splendid. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, thanks very much for joining us. OK, thank you very okay, much. OK, bye now. That was Greenpeace Executive Director John Soven. Bibi, as he said, you know, maybe we should be letting Unilever know about our concerns or boycotting their products. If Greenpeace are going to organise a boycott, a very specific boycott of brands, then that can work. But if you just sort of put a general word out there saying, oh, Unilever, don't buy their products, I don't think companies take an enormous amount of notice. So what would you advise that people do if they want to uh, try and save the orangutan? I mean, sending a letter to Unilever, that's, you know, more effective. And uh, search out alternatives and let them know you're doing it for that reason. And, and that's what they'll respond to is feedback from customers because that's the most important thing to them. On a personal level, I'm not using cosmetics anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we, we couldn't tell, John. <laughs> OK, well, that's all we've got time for on this edition of Environment Weekly. Many thanks to my guests, John Vidal and Bibi van der Zee, and to my producer, Kate Taylor. Environment Weekly is taking a short break. I've really enjoyed presenting the show. But in the meantime, you can get all your green news at guardian.co.uk slash environment. And don't forget to join the debate at blogs.guardian.co.uk slash climate change. I'm Alison Benjamin. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.